a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? (laughs) Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir. Go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information, go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get, make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. Last time we were in Romans chapter 6, we were looking at the first two verses. So I want us to read those again for context. And we'll be back in verse two some today. What what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And we've learned that the purpose of chapter six is to refute antinomianism. And we've learned that the charge of antinomianism is always going to be leveled against those of us who teach salvation by grace through faith apart from works. Somebody will be out there to accuse us of antinomianism. (laughs) So no one who truly understands God's grace would ever ask, 
Are we to continue in sin (laughs) that grace might increase? If we ask that question, it shows ignorance on our part. Grace is not given to allow us to continue in sin. Grace is given to deliver us from the power and the reign of sin and transfer us into the reign of grace and righteousness. So if anybody ever says, oh, I believe in salvation by grace. I believe in security of the believer. And it's wonderful because now it doesn't matter how much I sin. I know I'm going to heaven anyway. That person doesn't understand salvation. That person probably does not know Jesus. He has a deformed, perverted, distorted understanding of grace. Now, I want us to spend just a little more time focusing on that incredibly important question that he asked in verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of that very simple question. It's so important, and we've seen this before too, but Paul reemphasizes it again and again and again in the first part of this chapter. In verse 3, we have been baptized or plunged into his death. In verse 4, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In verse 5, we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. In verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. In verse 7, he who has died is freed from sin. In verse 8, we have died with Christ. Verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. I mean, he just drives this point home over and over because he knows it's going to be hard for some people to absorb it. So he just keeps underlining it. He wants there to be no mistaking it. We died to sin. And by the way, Greek scholars tell us that the pronoun we here in verse 2 should be taken very emphatically. (laughs) Something like, how shall we We of all people, we who know we're in Christ, how shall we who died to sin, how shall we still live in it? It's like like if we really understand who we are, if we really understand who we are in Christ, we'd never dream of asking such a question. So we Christians need to spend some time meditating on who we are according to the Word of God. If we know who we are, according to what God says about us, God's truth, it will make a difference in how we behave. It will make a difference in how we live our lives, knowing who we are. And again, when he says we died to sin, again, this is past completed action. He's not describing a process. He's not even describing our current situation, our current condition. Although it's true, he's not he's he's describing something there that happened to us in the past. Now, there have been people who've interpreted this phrase, we who died to sin in lots of different ways. There's some people we call them perfectionists sometimes who say it means that we no longer commit any sin at all. (laughs) We died to it. (laughs) Now, most of us, if we're honest, we realize that's pretty ridiculous that can't possibly be true. We know it's we know just by our own lies. We know that's not what he means. But you know what? I had a conversation with a man one time who told me that he really had reached a state of sinlessness in his life. He told me that. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, that sounds pretty incredible to me. Are you telling me you never get irritated with your wife or you never think unkind thoughts toward others or you never get in, give in to laziness? Or and he said, now, wait a minute. 
He said, don't misunderstand me. I still make mistakes in judgment, but I no longer commit sin. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I get it. <laughs> he still sinned, just like I still sin, but he's redefined sin. <laughs> so when he sins, he now calls it a mistake in judgment. <laughs> well, it is a mistake in judgment, but it's sin. <laughs> For one thing, if Paul meant sinless perfection, he would not have needed to give us the commandments in verses 12 and 13, a little bit farther on in this chapter, where he commands us, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Or do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. Those commands would be superfluous and unnecessary if we'd already reached sinless perfection. Some people interpret this to mean, how shall we who ought to be dead to sin? Well, maybe that's true. It's not what he said. Some people say it means, how shall we who are dying more and more and more to sin? That's not what he said either. Some people say, well, he's talking about those of us who've renounced sin. That's not what he says either. Another interpretation is, how shall we who died to the guilt of sin? That's not what he said either. Why is it that people feel a need to reinterpret this? Well, maybe it's because they really are afraid that people will accuse them of teaching perfectionism, or maybe they'll be charged with antinomianism. They're afraid of that, or, or maybe they're afraid of being charged with teaching perfectionism or antinomianism or something like that. So they're afraid they'll be misunderstood. They're afraid they'll get unbalanced, and, and so they feel like they've got to reinterpret it. It just sounds too strong. Of course, another problem is that with many, they'll say, well, I don't feel like I died to sin. I'm still dealing with temptation. I still feel the power of sin. How can I claim to have died to it? That doesn't make sense to them. But listen, guys, stay with me here. One of the purposes of God revealing his truth to us in his word is to make sure we hear and understand and believe the truth that we couldn't have figured out on our own. That's why we need God's revelation. That's why we need his word. He reveals truth to us that we couldn't have figured out. So our personal feelings and our personal experiences can get in the way. If we're not careful, we'll trust our feelings and our experiences more than we'll trust God's word and God's truth. That's dangerous. God's teaching us truth here. The truth is we died to sin. We've been taken out from the realm of sin, out from the power of sin. We're no longer the slaves of sin, whether we feel like it or not. Look at Colossians 1.13. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Guys, that's the truth, whether we feel like it or not. You may not feel like it, but it's true. Look at Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not feel like that's true. We may not feel that, but it's true regardless of how we feel. We have changed kingdoms once and forever. Sin no longer controls us. Sin no longer rules over us. We're not under its domain any longer. We were once in Adam. Now we're in Christ. We might imagine two countries side by side with a big wall separating them. One country belongs to the devil. It's dark. It's depressing. It's hopeless. It's an ugly country. We once lived in that country, that dark side. But by God's grace, we've been transferred to the other side. And the other side, of course, is God's side, full of light and joy and peace and victory. But we once lived in that dark country. And the devil's still over there with all his power and all his subjects. And he's shouting over the wall. He didn't have authority over us anymore. We can take it out from under his authority, but he can still whisper to us. He can still shout at it at us. Why do we listen to him? Huh. Old habits, 
We used to listen to him all the time. We used to be his slaves. And now when he tempts us, our initial response, unfortunately, often is to forget. We forget what our new position is. We don't remember. We don't have to give in, but we do because we're still living in these fleshly bodies. We're still living in a fallen world all around us. Satan can still shout at us and whisper to us. Temptation is very real. And so we forget and we give in. That's why it's so important to remind ourselves over and over again of the truth of who we are now and to keep putting on the full armor of God he's given us to resist the devil. We can walk in victory, guys. We just need to keep our focus on him and believe what he tells us about ourselves and about him and about the, about the world we're living in, about the devil. <laughs> there are many, many things that God teaches us in his word that are true, but they're difficult for us to believe <laughs> because of our experiences or because of our feelings. It's just like Abraham and Sarah. You remember God came and said, you're going to have a son. <laughs> it was difficult for Abraham and Sarah. They couldn't believe it. <laughs> Even though God said, you will. But Abraham clung to God's promise. He just, the bare word of God. So that's why Abraham turned out to be the father of the faithful. He, he just believed God in spite of the circumstances. Took his eyes off his circumstances. Took his eyes off his feelings. Said, I'm going to believe God. <laughs> and on the bare word of God, he believed. Just because God said it. We've got to do the same thing, guys. We're living in a fallen world. We're living in weak fleshly bodies. We're still susceptible to Satan's tempting. And it may seem hard to believe that we're not slaves to sin. We're actually dead to it. But God says we are. And we've got to believe God. Now, in the following verses, Paul answers the very logical question that would come to most of our minds at this point. Well, how did that happen? How did we die to sin? What exactly took place? And in verses 3 and 4, he talks about being baptized. You see it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, most Christians, when we hear that word baptized, we think about water. And some really put way too much emphasis on the water. In the Catholic Church, and some others actually, they actually believe that we are saved through that act of water baptism, that it carries saving power, the water itself, the act of baptism in the water itself. But the New Testament clearly teaches that's not true. The Ethiopian eunuch, for example, or, the, or Cornelius, you remember the Roman centurion Cornelius, or the Philippian jailer, <laughs> Many other people in the book of Acts, they were all baptized after they gave evidence that they were already saved. So baptism is not what saves us. We could go into that in more detail, but we won't here. We Baptists usually try pretty hard to communicate that water baptism does not save anybody. It's a beautiful symbolic picture, and it is a command. God commands us to do it, to picture this, to show our identity and unity with him. And it pictures our death and burial and resurrection with Jesus Christ. So water baptism is a beautiful picture. And it actually pictures what Paul's writing about here in Romans chapter 6. But listen, guys, if we focus too much here on the water, we'll miss the main point that God's teaching us. In verse 3, he does not say we're baptized into water. He says we're baptized into Christ Jesus, into his death. Are you aware, uh, most of you probably are, but you may not be, the word baptize is actually not a translation 
of a Greek word. You understand that, right? It's what we call a transliteration of a Greek word. You see it there? The Greek is baptizo. When the early English translators came to the Greek word baptizo, <laughs> they realized what it meant. <laughs> they knew it meant to dip or to plunge or to immerse into or to place into. But <laughs> they also realized that the church was practicing baptism by sprinkling. So to stay out of trouble, they simply chose not to translate it. <laughs> they just said, we're not going to touch that. They just transliterated it. They just put the Greek word in in, in an anglicized form. Baptized, baptizo became baptized. Notice how he uses the word in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into, not water, one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. What's he saying? He's telling us the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're joined to Christ. We're, he's the head. We're the body. He unites us to Jesus. That's, that's, that's the whole point here. He's not talking about water. Remember, the main point of chapter 5 of Romans was just as we were united to Adam, so now we're united to the Holy Spirit's the one who does this, who unites us to Christ. And this is the baptism he's referring to. So he's saying something really wonderful here. Don't miss it. Not only are we justified, not only are we forgiven, we've been immersed into Jesus Christ. We've been placed into Jesus Christ. We are in him. He is in us. We are together with him in a vital union. It's also interesting that he begins verse 3. <laughs> Do you notice this with the words, don't you know? <laughs> don't you know? <laughs> it's like, don't you guys realize this? Haven't you understood this? The implication here is that Paul assumes that this kind of information and teaching should be common knowledge among Christians. You remember, Paul's never been there yet. He, he was rewriting this letter, but he hasn't been to Rome yet. He's, he's going eventually, but he hasn't had the opportunity to personally teach these people. But he's making the assumption here that whoever did teach them certainly would have taught them this basic truth. He's saying this truth is part of our basic doctrine of salvation. This isn't meant to be some kind of strange, esoteric, deeper life knowledge for super spiritual Christians. But we live in a day, don't we, that so many Christians are so ignorant of so many basic things. It's very, very sad. Don't you know? <laughs> so here he's telling us that all of us who've been saved, all of us who have been joined to Jesus Christ, We've been immersed into him. We've been placed into him. We've been baptized into his death. And again, we need to remind ourselves he's not talking about our feelings. He's not talking about our emotions. He's not talking about some kind of experience that you can remember that we should be trying to experience. He's just talking about facts. He's dealing with something that's happened to us, to all of us who've been truly saved. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean if we don't understand this, we're not saved. That's not what he's saying at all. There are many, many Christians today who really, really are saved. They're really trusting Jesus. They're just not aware of what's happened to them. The Holy Spirit, working through the Apostle Paul here, wants us to know what's happened to us. Many of us today are very feeling-oriented, aren't we? we? We depend a lot on our emotions. We tend to believe things if we can just feel them. And if we don't feel things, we start having doubts about them. I've known Christians. It's really sad, but I've known Christians who just seem to desperately be going about looking 
for feelings. They're desperate. They had feelings one time. They had these intense emotions one time in their relationship with God. And now those feelings aren't there. And they're desperately trying to get these feelings back. They don't feel right now. They don't feel God now. Listen, guys, please hear me. Don't miss this. God does not want us to live the Christian life that way. You are not to walk by feelings. We're not walking by feelings. We're walking by faith. We're believing God's word. He speaks the truth to us. We believe it. doesn't matter how we feel about it. Usually, eventually, the feelings catch up and we rejoice in him. But we're not looking for feelings. We're just walking by faith, listening to God, believing his truth. A few weeks ago, we looked briefly at verse 10. I want to look at it briefly again. Paul's telling us here that Jesus himself died to sin for the death that he died. He died to sin once for all with the life that he lives. He lives to God. And we saw already that obviously that doesn't mean Jesus, when Jesus died, he quit sinning. He never did sin at all. It simply means he died to the realm of sin. He had left heaven. He had left the glory of the Father. He had come to this earth. He had entered into the realm of sin. And when he died on the cross and took our sin on himself to pay for our sin, he died to that realm of sin. He left it forever. And listen, for those of us who trust him, he's teaching us we died with him. He's removed us from that realm of sin as well. We're no longer slaves to it. Sin no longer rules over us. We've been baptized into his death. He communicates the same truth in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. That's where they get that image of the wall separating the two countries. He delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice also he talks about burial in verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. We've been buried with him. Burial is final proof of death. Burial emphasizes the reality of death. Burial emphasizes the completeness of death. It's conceivable that we could be in the presence of a body that appears to be lifeless and appears to be dead, as far as we can tell, but we certainly would never bury that body (laughs) until we're really sure it's dead. Really, really sure. (laughs) Well, Jesus was buried because he was really, really dead, and they were really, really sure he was really, really dead. (laughs) And verse 4 says, we have been buried with him. Now, water baptism does picture that burial. That's why we immerse people into the water, to picture burial. But here he's talking about something far more profound than water baptism. He wants us to realize that being buried with Christ is a demonstration that we've really died to an old way of life, to our old relationship to sin. But, of course, he goes even further in the last part of verse 4. As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus died to the realm of sin. He was buried to it and he rose again, which is the ultimate proof he conquered it. But the amazing thing here is he says, as he was raised, so we too walk in newness of life. We died with Christ. We're buried with Christ. We're risen with Christ to walk in newness of life. We who are in Christ Jesus have been taken out of the realm of sin and placed into Christ, which takes us back to the question in verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? How on earth shall we, of all people, who died to sin still live in it? Guys, we must not still live in it. We're in Christ. We're dead to sin. We're buried with him. We're risen to walk in a new way of life with him. Father, thank you so much for this awesome truth. Lord, I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but you repeat yourself too in your word to emphasize this truth. 
So, Lord, help us to internalize it well. Help us to know who we are in Christ. Help us, Lord, to realize you've given us victory over sin, that we've died to that old way of life. We're no longer slaves. We no longer belong to Satan. We, are, we have victory in Christ over sin. Lord, thank you for reminding us that we can say no to sin. We don't have to say yes. We just need to keep our focus on you, your, your word, your truth, and you and your awesomeness. Thank you, Lord, for giving us armor. Lord, we know we're living still in a fallen world. We know we're still living in fleshly bodies that are liable to temptation, susceptible to sin. We know, Lord, we have an enemy who's trying to talk us into it, trying to be deceptive and and offer us what he thinks is a slick opportunity to do something that will lead to disaster and death. But Lord, help us to realize that we don't have to listen to him and we don't have to give into this stuff because we have victory in you. We're walking in newness of life. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Help us to internalize this well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.